Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi there, it's Annika. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Speak Up. I think any of us who work with school-age kids with an autism spectrum disorder would have considered the reading skills and development of many of these kids at some stage. We know many kids with ASD develop reading skills a little differently to their neurotypical peers, but how so? And what should we be considering? To help answer these questions and more, I'm really pleased to be chatting with Dr. Maria Lathoris today. Maria is a speech-language pathologist and project manager at the Autism Hub within the Queensland Department of Education. Her role involves collaborating with statewide, regional and school teams, parents and external stakeholders to provide evidence-based information and advice to support the success and well-being of every student with ASD in Queensland State Schools. What an interesting job. I'm a little bit jealous. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege to be asked to join you today. And I'm usually sitting at home or at my desk when I listen to these wonderful podcasts. So it's a nice opportunity. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for joining me. Now, before we jump into ASD and reading, I need to congratulate you on your recent conference presentation. Um, And you just presented beautifully. How did you find the conference experience? Oh, what a wonderful opportunity to get face to face with people again after such a long time that we've been apart and I think the Speech Pathology Australia conferences just have such a great buzz about them and a wonderful feeling and I think you cannot um, replicate that opportunity and networking and this the people you meet um, and have the just the best conversations with so I think um, yes that the lineup of speakers and keynotes was just out of this world, but also just the wonderful opportunities to have those real, you know, face-to-face conversations about things that are happening in, in our work is, yeah, priceless. It was. It was a great few days. I think it took me a couple of weeks to kind of get back to normal. It was such a high, that's for sure. All right, so let's jump into what we're going to chat about today, which is ASD and reading. My first question is, how do the learning and processing styles of kids with ASD relate to the development of reading, Maria? Oh, thank you. Good question. Um, And I think I might start um, at this point before we sort of launch in um, to make a comment about language. And as speech pathologists, I think we know that language has so much power. And I just really want to recognise that the differing opinions and the positions on language, and that's specifically identity first versus person first language. And I acknowledge that people's personal preferences and their individual rights to describe how they are described. And so today I just want to point out that I'll speak in person first language. 
But to to get back to your question um, around the processing styles, I, I think, you know, we know that reading is just such a complex task and I really love the way that Pamela Snow um, compares oral language and, and reading development and she really emphasises that reading, unlike oral language, it's not that it's not a biologically natural skill and um, it drives home those messages that we send as speech pathologists that um, you know about repeated systematic and explicit instruction and how important that is when we talk about reading and um, we see these differences in oral language development differences in oral language development might be um, some of the first reasons that parents, you know, want to make contact to seek support from professionals such as speech pathologists, along with engagement and behaviour, of course. But this could be, this is sometimes the first step in a, in a catalyst for a pathway to diagnosis of autism spectrum. And so it's really important to understand that we know oral language abilities are great predictors. They're wonderful predictors of um, reading success. And so, we know there's lots of factors that influence them um, and for all of our students when beginning to read. So that's the literacy environment, student motivation, world knowledge. A along with these things that influence reading development for students with autism, it could also be their interpretation and understanding of their world. So across time and across many dis different disciplines, um, we know that the simple view of reading um, has been instrumental in building our knowledge of understanding of the skills required to be um, a really good at reading comprehension. And, and this helps, um, this has helped us to build really strong, clear profiles about students and their reading. So it, the simple view of reading for people who may not be aware, um, it really draws our attention to two key areas. And one of those is um, that readers have to have really strong, fluent and um, skills to be able to accurately read words. That's one part. And then they need to be able to access their language skills to process and engage um, with what they're, they're reading, so to understand the written words. So this brings us back to where we started, where we're, we're highlighting oral language as a really key player in reading. And so if we take this a little bit further, um, we know that skilled readers, they, they need to build these mental representations of stories. Um, and sometimes authors, they, they do things to us. They, they change up a storyline or the order of events or they leave an element out um, sometimes to add a bit of intrigue. And as readers, we, we do a really good job of using our background knowledge to try and fill in the gaps. And um, we use our our knowledge of the world and background knowledge to, to do that. But for some students with autism, this is probably where we see the differences that impact on reading comprehension and particularly at that text level. So when we're reading, we're constantly using skills to understand the feelings and the behaviours and the perspectives of others and, of course, of our own. And we call that theory of mind. Mm, absolutely. Um, okay, so is there any other... Um particular features, I suppose, um, that children with autism present with that might impact their development of reading? Yeah, I think we also need to consider executive functioning skills. So this allows us simply to take a 
take a thought, focus on it and make it an action while we have some competing priorities. So you can imagine that this is really important when we're reading um, because you, you're constantly taking that information, you're relating it and to things you've known, you're checking understanding. So it's a, a lot of um, differences that we see in this area are around working memory, initiating tasks and that cognitive flexibility. So for students with autism, um, they are some areas that we could see differences in. Mm. And probably the last thing um, there is, is that sometimes students with autism, they, they might focus on some small details. So when they're reading a text, um, it could, they could be really um, driven by a special interest or something that catches their attention in the text. Um, and they really focus in on that information um, rather than having a look at the big picture and the, the main ideas mm. of the story. So it's about collectively gathering information from what we know about the simple view of reading, from what we know about theory of mind, executive function and processing. That helps us really inform our approach and think about the way information is presented mm. and adaptations that, you know, we can get students to um engage with and comprehend mm. the text. Mm. So I'm wondering, what is the evidence actually saying about the reading development of kids with ASD, Maria? Yeah, the evidence is growing, which is exciting, but there's still definitely a lot, a long, long way to go. Of course. Um, <laughs> I feel like we say that as research. With everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's just our... our default position but because we always are learning more and I think we ask one question we ask six more you know so there is that flow on um but there are some messages I guess that I want to if I have to draw out just a couple um I think I'd say that the first is that the students with autism they learn to read the same way as their peers they're drawing upon the same set of skills um as as all students so that means that, you know, we might need to individualise some elements for them. Um, that might be the intensity or the frequency of instruction. That might mean um, their engagement with the instruction or utilising their special interests um, and their strengths. Um, but we also might need to think about physical and sensory environment. But that's still drawing on those same elements that we've highlighted through the simple view of reading. There's no typical profile for students um, when they're learning to read. And I think um, it's really important that we encourage everyone to think that all students have unique skills and strengths. And mm. um, some kids are going to be really good at word reading. Some kids are going to have strong comprehension skills. And some, some are going to have great skills in both. And mm. I think in the, the research literature, the word hyperlexia always yes. seems to Pops come up, up. Yeah. With, with students with autism. And I think um, what from what I'm reading in the research is that there's a lot of definitional inconsistencies with that term. Mm. Um, some people describe it as having good word reading before their, before age three and others re researchers are saying, no, no, it's excellent word reading, not just above or um, good word re mm. reading skills. How do you define that, though? Excellent <laughs> word reading versus good word reading. That's, That's right. very subjective, isn't it? <laughs> they're, they're having some difficulties with yeah. that in, in that space. And we know sometimes it is hard to get those um, 
consistent definitions in the literature. Mm. I guess what we do know is, and what the research supports, is that there's only a really small percentage of students that have that ability to read words um, but not understand them. So it's Mm. important that we keep that at the front of our minds. Actually, um, there's a really nice study by Davidson in 2021 who combined the work of a, a bunch of researchers that have already Um, done some investigation into the profiles, the reading profiles of students with autism. And they talk about um, five particular profiles. So there's four out of the five profiles indicated difficulties with comprehension, um, two with and two without word reading difficulties. And the fifth profile, which I was really excited to read that, um, they're actually typical readers. So this is a point that we really need to emphasise. And of course, I'll make that disclaimer comment, as we always will, that um, there's going to be shifts and changes across students' profiles across time. So mm. I think that definitely highlights there is, there's that comprehension element for our students with autism, but there's definitely an important thing to individualise our assessment mm. And the last thing I just would say in terms of what we know about the development of students with autism and their reading is that that students can engage in reading instruction. Um, We don't need to wait for verbal language. We don't need to wait for a particular skill to set off, you know, sort of that um, beginning learning to read or exposure to instruction. So we need to move away. Miranda in 2003 said um, that move away from that readiness model of instruction. Mm. And um, instead, we really need to get to know our students, understand their capabilities and match our intervention accordingly. Um, Mm. I think we all know the benefits of shared reading, dialogic reading, explicit Mm -hmm. vocabulary instruction, and that has to be available for all of our students. Absolutely. And before they get to school too. Yes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Preferably, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So if I'm thinking then about, um, you know, I do work in a school and I will sometimes have students referred to me that do have a diagnosis of ASD in PrEP and um, sometimes the referring issue for that is that their um, phonological awareness skills or some of their early literacy skills seem to be falling behind their peers. I'm just wondering what you might suggest someone in my situation might do in regards to assessment at that point. Is there anything different that I might consider as opposed to another student in the class that does not have ASD or would I be considering the same type of assessment for that little one? Yeah, great question. And I think that is just so relevant to our um, you know, to our field. And and I think it's probably something that people constantly ask themselves. Um, So I think, yeah, we just have to constantly assess what it is that we're trying to achieve in terms of assessment. You know, um, sometimes we're looking at funding and and diagnosis. Sometimes it's about monitoring outcomes. But it's, it's coming back to that notion, isn't it, that I've already sort of touched on that all students, they draw upon the same sets of skills that contribute to successful reading and so we have to work on there's a few things we probably consider but they may not be drastically different for our students with autism we keep in mind you know the simple view of reading so we're needing to consider both sides of that so the word um word related and and meaning related skills Mm. 
um, and keeping and keeping that in mind so that our assessment reflects our theoretical knowledge um, wherever possible working with others so um, whether that looks like a, a multidisciplinary or transdisciplinary approach but we know that um, it's really well recognized uh, as a fantastic practice and, and we need to uphold that when we're thinking about our students with autism parents and educators and our other allied health professionals they, they play a key role in this space and um, in that collection of information from a variety of sources and across mm. contexts. so that that's also key um, comprehensive battery of course um, yeah. so just across that word sentence and text level and I don't think that is something that is necessarily different right so yep so things. the same as what we would use for That's any right. of our kids yep great we're trying to think about where they're at in their in their learning you know are they an early or an emergent reader and selecting information that's appropriate to their age and and their ability which links back to our purpose of the assessment I think the thing that will stand out as a difference um, mm. is that we're, we're thinking about preferences about processing styles and and about interests um it's not necessarily changing what we assess it might just mean having really clear plans for that so it could mean you're thinking about how you transition the student into the assessment session or is the time of day appropriate are they missing their favorite um lesson because they're coming to the assessment with you that time yeah <laughs> physical setup of the room appropriate or do they need someone familiar with them to attend a session so all of these elements um, that we may consider um, in our everyday practice but you may need just some some more careful planning um, to make sure that we're really capturing information about yeah the student's ability Mm, that's right. And not some of those other extraneous challenges that they face, that it is actually the re their reading skills that we're looking at for sure. Yeah. And I guess there's just um, a really nice article by Emily Solari and her colleagues in 2021. And they talk about, um, they do a nice study around state level early literacy data for kindergarten students who are educationally diagnosed with autism and they investigate the reading skills across the year and it's a really good read and I, I'd recommend if you haven't read it um, or if you're working in that space but one of the messages that I that really resonated was that um, we need to be careful about interpreting group level data that we might get from um, you know from in the class school. Yep. Um, yes yep. so it because it can mask some of those individual students who are struggling in, in areas, particularly mm -hmm. around word reading and orthographic knowledge. Um, and so it's important to really think about, you know, that variability in, in early reading skills and making sure we have those individual profiles. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Is there anything then if we move on to intervention that we should be considering um, for a student with ASD if they are identified as needing some additional support in this area? Is there anything in particular we should be considering that would be different from other students? Yeah, sure. And I could talk about this um, a lot. I'll try. Go for it. You've got the floor. Go for it. I think the first thing is that um, 
we need to work with, uh, really work with and, and establish strong relationships with our teacher colleagues. Um, they're day in, day out working with our students and they're, they're doing, you know, this teaching of reading. So I think, up, you know, foremost um, is, is that concept. We need to work with our teachers. Um, the second is, I guess, um, we know um, evidence-based practices as, as speech pathologists. And I think it's nearly 20 years ago now that the National Reading Panel spoke about, you know, the big five um, and they highlighted phonological awareness, phonics, vocabulary, reading fluency and reading comprehension as essential elements um, for our beginning readers. So this is nothing new for us. Um, they didn't necessarily um, report specifically on students with autism, but they did report on students with disabilities. So this is something that's coming through and building momentum in the literature. Preliminary findings are really wonderful in, in terms of the students with autism and these, these areas, but I think it doesn't take away that we need to reiterate that importance of first teaching and targeting those word and meaning related skills which have been identified through you know, these decades, decades of research. Um, so it's we can't you know sort of overlook the research that's come before in terms of the really strong evidence around the teaching of reading and that this is still applicable for our students. And the last thing here that um, um, there's a lot of systematic reviews um, that have gone into evidence-based practices for students with autism, especially um, most recently there's one by Hume, um, mm -hmm. 2021 and. They identified 28 evidence-based practices for students with autism. Oh, wow. Yes, and they, these are things that we know about already. So yep. these are things like visual supports, um, reinforcement and prompting, to name just a couple. Um, but what's alarming, I think, is that these evidence-based practices, none of them are specific to reading. Um, what they focus on are the strategies that set the stage for that high-quality systematic and instruction for students and that helps them be ready to learn and engage in learning and I often use the example of um, visual schedules so it's not necessarily an evidence-based reading or writing strategy <laughs> what it does is hopefully reduce some of the anxiety around learning and really help students to focus on the key messages or of the lesson or the of the instruction so we know things like graphic organizers and direct instruction dialogic reading again, come up as evidence-based practices. And I, I would recommend that we utilise these in conjunction with um, the targets of intervention so that we can increase the quality of engagement with reading instruction. Mm, that sounds fantastic. Where can people go to access that um, review that you just mentioned? Because that sounds really great. Yeah, that that is, um, I'm not sure if it's freely available but there are two fantastic studies, one through the um, Autism CRC um, and as well as the National Clearinghouse um, on Autism and Evidence-Based Practices, which both of which are available online um, and they review the evidence for interventions for sticks with autism. So they're great um, references to. Yeah, they sound like an essential read if you're working with, with these yeah. kids, that's for sure. Yeah. 
So Maria, are there any specific reading intervention packages that might be well suited to a student with ASD who's experiencing some difficulty with reading? Yeah, there's some great um, literacy specific instructional programs for students with autism that are coming out of the research and gaining momentum. Um, There's a a program called the Abracadabra um, program. So if you are interested, lots of fun to say, not so much to spell. Um, (laughs) But you can Google um, Arachuli and Bailey 2021 who are are doing some lovely work or just Google... um, the Abracadabra program because there are some wonderful research coming out um, around that. But I guess what I would encourage is, you know, for speech pathologists to rely on their their skills and their knowledge around um, thinking about, you know, their evaluation of studies um, and thinking about the things that we know um, should be included in studies and how they relate to our clients, you know, age groups, um, you know, settings, etc., and our theoretical knowledge. I think um, the same authors, Arachuli and Bailey, have a lovely framework that they help, that helps, I think, that would help clinicians to really um, analyse those elements of a study if you're being asked questions from parents or educators or, or you're just doing some really wonderful research for your own practice. And if you're like me, you need a reminder or you might just really love a good framework, <laughs> I would suggest that, you know, using something like that would help us rather than having to feel like we need to know about every single program. Now, I know you've touched on a few resources and papers, etc., as we've kind of gone through our chat today, but are there any other specific resources that you would suggest speech pathologists working in this area should really get their hands on that would be super helpful? Yeah, I think um, when we think about resources, um, I think it's a really tricky space for some speech pathologists. I think um, keeping up with some of the, the research is it feels like a full-time job. Um, sure and, and I think the flow on is that sometimes that parents or teachers or other professionals are, are coming to us to ask, you know, specific questions around um, approaches or interventions, etc. So those two re- resources that we spoke about just now are probably fantastic. Um, And, you know, we are lucky that we have such wonderful training and background in how to be analytical and assess the quality of information that we take in. But I think, um, yeah, if if we think about that we can't be um, the holders of all information at all time and we need to sort of help families and parents and education colleagues to access their own, you know, reliable sources of information. So I think what is a really good go-to for me um, is there's a Raising Children Network. It's an Australian parent website. It has a dedicated section for autism um, and it has the A to Z um, guide to therapies. So that's a really great one to to have a look at. Yes, I'm sure many people... I've accessed it a few times. Yeah. I mentioned the Autism CRC, which is a a fantastic... um, independent national source of evidence-based practice. So they've had um, a lot of focus on um, research in the primary school age um, students, but across the lifespan. Um, So that's, there's some great resources freely available on there. And then there's some Affirm modules and they're free online modules that are targeting the 
27 of the 28 evidence-based practices. Um, so you can download, uh, you can freely available oh, on, wow. the, on the um, web. So they're really great um, resources to have. And I guess if um, I probably wanted to include in, when we spoke about assessment, two wonderful articles. Um, the first is a paper by Sally Clendon um, from 2021. It's called Emergent Literacy Assessment in Children with Autism Spectrum Disorder Who Have Limited Verbal Communication Skills. And the second is Jess Painter and her colleagues in 2016, mm. Reading Assessment in Children with Autism Spectrum, which have wonderful practical articles that discuss assessment batteries um, for students with autism, and they are very worthwhile reads. So Excellent. And Jess, I believe, has been on our podcast before, so <laughs> a few yes. years ago, which is great. Now, I also understand, Maria, that you'll be presenting some upcoming live online sessions for Speech Pathology Australia in July and August. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what we could expect from those? Absolutely, yes. How exciting. Um, it's wonderful to be asked. And I guess I'll just be elaborating on some of the things that mm. we've touched on today, but clear focus around, you know, having a, a theoretical understanding of autism, having strong skills in intervention, strong skills in assessment, and just highlighting what the research is telling us for these school-age students who are attending their local schools um, in in the primary years. So trying to narrow down our focus and get and you know, really launch into to that space. Oh, it sounds fantastic. And listeners um, can go onto the Speech Pathology Australia Learning Hub, which will have all the details for registering for those online events, which sound amazing. Now, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Maria. You're really, truly a rising star in this ASD space. And I think we'll be hearing a lot more from you over the coming years. And um, I certainly wish you all the best with your future endeavours and your upcoming spa training. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Be sure to join us again next Wednesday. Have a super week ahead. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.